Well, I'm pleased to be joined today uh, in the downtown den, uh, downtown in business den, uh, with John James from Soho Estates. Uh, well, thank you for joining us, John. Thanks. Thank you, Simon. Thank you for inviting me. And we're going to talk about all things Soho, no doubt about that. We're going to talk about uh, the campaign that you've been running around Soho, particularly uh, in terms of post-lockdown. I suppose it's quite pertinent, not least because we're talking on the day that we're expecting Boris Johnson to make an announcement uh, very much around the hospitality industry. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, comes out of that. But let's start, John. Just, I, I want to talk a little bit about your background. Uh, you've been in Soho quite a long time. Just, just talk us through some of the history of your career, please, if you don't mind. Uh, certainly. Um, I mean, I came from um, I came from the, um, a place called Whitehaven in Cumbria many years ago, and I sort of arrived in London about well, it's about seventy eight, seventy nine, somewhere around that time. And it was very typical of a lot of people who've ended up in Soho. Uh, and one of its main attractions is it, it always welcomed um, it, it, it welcomed and embraced um, immigrants from all over the world. In fact. But I would class myself as a sort of a, an economic immigrant. I was in an area in, in Cumbria where the opportunities were slim. Um, there, was, there, was, there, was, there was declining industry. There was declining business. Um, so I, my decision was that for, for any chance of success and prosperity, I should go to London, uh, which I did. And it was very difficult to start with. When you start work in London and, and no, nobody loves you, nobody likes you, um, nobody, you can't even see anybody you recognize. Um, and it's a struggle, but you know, we, we I, I kind of persevered, and and, and eventually, um, I got a, I ended up running a nightclub in uh, in Bond Street in the in the early eighties, which is called the Embassy Club, which was uh, in its day a very very famous club. Um, and I I mean the day before I got the job uh, as as a duty manager, which I I later discovered a duty manager's real function was to breathe and counter till, and that was about it really. But, <laughs> But the day before, I couldn't have got into that club. It was so exclusive. And the day after, I was a duty manager. And having, I did that for a while, for quite a while. And then the club was closed for the redevelopment. So I learned the nightclub management thing. And that's when I ended up working for Paul Raymond because he invited me to go and work for him to run uh, one club he was opening at the time, which was in the site of the Windmill Theatre, which is there now. And then, and then eventually another couple of clubs he started, one of, one of the most famous being Madame Giorgio's. And so I went to work for him um, to be this nightclub manager role. Um, and it was only later that I turned, switched over to become the, um, in the property department, if you care to call it that at the time. It wasn't much of a department at the yeah. time, but that's what happened. So I transitioned from being uh, the nightclub, which is, so I quite understand the hospitality problems and the, the running of such businesses, um, to, into the uh, property department, which is, and, and I, I went to work for him in 1986. So I've been there 30 odd years now, 30, mm -hmm. whatever that is, years, 36. Yeah, and, and you, do you ever get back to what, you haven't lost your accent, I have to say, John. Do you ever get back up there very much, up to Cumbria? Um, I, I, I still have, I mean, not, not, since my parents died and I had no reason then to visit a lot, but I, I have friends in Cumbria, and because I, I, one of my pastimes is sh uh, shooting pheasants and stuff, and, and I go up there to, to do that with some friends of mine, have, a, have, a, have an estate there, and, and I've known them since, since I was a teenager. A couple of boys who did well in Cumbria, 
they did well. They 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 thrived. Um, but uh, 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 they, they, the reason I would go would just be for that social reason now, right? Um, and and I, you know, it's funny, Simon. When when, when you first arrive in the south, you have to soften this accent a bit because otherwise they pretend they don't understand what you're talking about, and you have to keep repeating yourself. And eventually, when you get a job, which I fortunately ended up with a job where perhaps people needed more from me than I needed from them, and I thought, well, if you don't like my accent, well, tough. <laughs> so, so my accent, my, my children don't speak like this. They say bath and grass, <laughs> but they were born in Surrey. And you mentioned the Embassy Club. I, I, I've heard of it. I, I remember hearing about it and, and reading about it. What sort of, t tell us some of the celebrities that you saw in there. There'd, there'd be some big characters going through there, wouldn't there? Oh, in its day. I mean, I can, I, I remember when David Bowie walked into that place. Uh, there was a frisson went round the room like no other person. That, I, that, you, that, that there was lots of famous people used to, used to fetch up there, um, but he was the, he was a man. I I, I don't know what that he had such a charisma that man, right? And he, he just walked through the door, and there'd be a kind of a, a just a, a, a frisson went right round the room that Bowie was here, right? And the reason he was there is he was knocking off the, the, the my boss, who was the uh, general manager, a girl, by the way. Uh, but he was going with her. He was going out with her for a brief moment in that life. And, and God knows, I can't quite think when it was, in 77, 79. Um, so he was, he, 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 he only kind of was basically there because he, he had a friendship there. Um, but when he arrived, I, I just never under, never felt anything like that before when, when Bowie arrived, right? But there was, there was a loads and loads of very, very famous people at that time when it was at its height. And it was, the embassy was started by the guys who, who um, in New York did the Studio 54, um, uh, Jeremy Norman and Stephen Hayter and I forgot the other one. But Studio 54 was the biggest cultural uh, shake-up of America in New York at the time. And these guys came and tried to emulate the same thing in London with the Embassy Club, um, um, and it was it and it was very successful for quite a long time. But like everything else, with a, with you know with a, with a, with a prefix trendy, it means it's got a lifetime and it will run out. And and, and eventually, it was a, the site was redeveloped. In fact, as being in the middle of Bond Street, it was quite a valuable piece of real estate. And and so. And Bond Street. I mean, for those that don't know the geography, not quite Soho, but not a, not a, only a stone's throw away from Soho. So yeah, you transitioned well, into 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 Soho. Well, Bond Street. I mean, the, there was a lot of clubs in those days which were in and around Mayfair because they were actually their throwbacks. The or the the the, the buildings, the premises, were the same premises where you would have um, uh, you know the black tie dining, the black tie dinner dining of the twenties to fifties, say. 40s, I should say, um, and those they were quite big spaces, and there was a few of them around Mayfair, which they, they which they all kind of transitioned into becoming very suitable for nightclubs. So Bond Street is uh, about like three or four blocks away from the to where you would actually start saying you're in the boundary of Soho, actually. Yeah. Uh, so I moved from Mayfair to Soho, which some might think is not probably the probably the wrong way. I don't know. Yeah. And, and people, you know, certainly outside London who don't enter into London very much will have a perception of Soho. It's really transformed over the years, hasn't it? But it's still got a sort of edge to it, hasn't it? Well, it, yeah, I mean, Soho, the thing about Soho, it, it, it offers this unique sort of mixture of, 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 of 
opportunity and business. Um, and it was it basically, it, as an area, because of its, um, it, it attracted a good, an awful lot of immigrants right the way back from the persecuted Huguenots who came there. And they, but when they, when they fetched up in Soho, and there was there was a kind of like a they would talk about the, the, there would be um, the, a French contingent, there'd be an Italian contingent, there'd be a Greek contingent, and they these people would bring with them their cultures and the and the and the, and the cuisine of their countries. So suddenly Soho was 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 starting to to, to have um, lots of really good Italian restaurants or different different cuisine restaurants, and and the, this was part and parcel of it, of, of the start of its of its uh, hospitality base. Uh, DNA, as I would call it, but on top of which, it was a hugely tolerant place. So it, it would tolerate before the laws against homosexuality uh, were repealed in 1964. I think I'm not too sure, but this is a relatively short time ago, um, there would be plenty of opportunity for tolerance of all kinds of activities in Soho that would be, uh, which gave it a racy or an edgy kind of um, access to it. And then there'd be talk of gangsters in Soho. There'd be talk of this. It was one time it was just full of sex shops and and, and associated trades like that. But the the area had had a sort of a risque beauty to it, um, and and tolerance is is, is fine. But, but it but I always thought the the the, the immigration the, the the fact that the immigrant goes to where their friends are number one, and that would be a, 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 a there'd be groups of them in different areas of Soho. But they also bring something which is called a work ethic, because unless you work, nobody's going to give you any help or whatsoever. You're not here to be benefited um, uh, or to take the system that we have in this country. Not in those days. And I don't think now, by the way. But the, the idea you come and you work. So you come and you bring with you a thing called a work ethic. Like, a bit like when I arrived. Nobody's going to help you unless you do it yourself. Huh? So... This would therefore boom into the restaurant businesses we know that saw is and the clubs and the bars and you know the, the dodgy little basements that God knows what goes on down there but the, the, there's, there's plenty of folk going in and out of there and, until five o'clock in the morning sometimes. Now all of that had its sort of uh, mystique if you like. Um, but the sad thing is of course for a lot of us that the Italian restaurants when they, when they were successful and they did become very successful they educated their children, their children became doctors and lawyers, and eventually the family restaurants sort of ran out of, of an owner and was, had been sold and had been turned into other things um, because they were a victim of that success, to be honest. But yeah. Soho was always a place that welcomed this, always a place that people could come, they could start, they, they, they encouraged entrepreneur, entrepreneurial, uh, in, innovative young men and women to do and to give them a chance. And of course, originally it was relatively inexpensive to, to start there. I mean, that would be the, <coughs> one of the one of the excuse me one of the reasons that people do this is because it was affordable in those days. But yeah. I, I'm not sure. Hang on, I'm not sure that any inner inner city place was ever affordable when you were there. Do you know? Yeah. <coughs> it's, it's okay saying it's affordable looking back, but I expect when you arrived, it wasn't affordable at all. Yeah. Everything's relative anyway, isn't it? But yeah. it's on the cusp. I mean, it's it's touching on to, you know, the centre of London, isn't it? I mean, it's there, isn't it? Well, Soho represents the centre of the West End. And the yeah. West End represents the centre of this of London as a city. 
it brings in the most revenue, it brings in the most people, it brings in the most um, vitality, it brings in the most, uh, and, it, and it is one of the most prosperous, right? Yeah. Um, and the, 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 in, inside of the boundaries of Soho, you've got like 10, 12 theatres. Um, you've got the, an entire spread of, of, of cuisines, you've got an entire spread of bars, you've got, you've got bars, you've got, you've, when you look at the street of Soho, and, 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 and not, not at the moment sadly, because it looks like a ghost town right now, but when you look at the street of Soho at seven o'clock on a Thursday evening, there is one mass of people walking about, and it's like, it's kind of like a zoo, it's all these people walking all over the place, but they're going, some of them are going to Corvadis, some of them are going to Lascago, some of them are going to Wagamama, some of them are going to a noodle bar down there, there is such a mix of people of various ages and wealth brackets and, and interests, and they're all going in different places. Uh, and the place is a, is a, is a buzz with, 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 that, with that wonderful activity, which right now, uh, Simon, I'm sorry to say, is boarded up. The whole lot is boarded up. There are no yeah. people on these streets. It's an it's a absolutely shocking thing to see. Yeah. Yeah, and we're and we're going to talk more about that. But before we do, let's talk. Talk. You you mentioned it'd be remiss of us not to talk about Paul Raymond. I made a point of watching the movie last night, which details accurately or inaccurately, I don't know, but some of his life, the, the look of love, which we made in, came out in twenty thirteen. But you went to work for this guy. He was uh, one of the richest men in England at one stage, by all accounts. Uh, what what was that like? I mean, it was at the height of. Uh, well, it seemed an exciting time to be working around there. And work. what was he like to work with? Well, I mean, P Paul Paul Raymond was. A, I mean, we he would be referred to by all of us as PR, right? Um, or sometimes PR sir, depending on what you're asking at the time. Yeah, right? really. But uh, I mean, I went to work for him, and uh, and he, he he was a remarkable man. Right? He, I mean, he came from Liverpool. Yeah. He came post-war with no money whatsoever. Um, and everything he had, he, he earned. He had, he had, he had basically earned it himself. He started life. Um, he said he started life as a drummer, actually, uh, and he worked the sort of the Clapton Pier circuit, if you care to call it that. Um, and he said, I remember saying to me once, John, I'm glad I wasn't a very good drummer because I probably I might have been stuck at that, stuck at that level, right? But I mean, he started off as an as a, um, an impresario kind of thing. He put on he put on shows. Which would be the, the 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 playbills, which we've got plenty of them left here, of uh, you know in Clacton, in the piers, in the in the northern towns, in, in all the playhouses all down the country. And I also remember once he said to me, yeah, there was that sort of an act thing, an act sort of thing. And then he got a couple of pretty girls, and then he noticed that there were people were not looking at him so much; they were looking at the girls. And he figured that that was the way forward for him, and that's exactly what he did. So suddenly it became the Raymond Review, and the Raymond Review Bar, which he, he opened in 1958, uh, which is the acorn for which the the very thing Soho States is today, and as a as a stakeholder property owner in in that area, started from this club called the Raymond Review Bar in 1958. And he said to me, John, I, I only had six weeks money. Uh, if after that, I was out, I was on my ear. Um, um, and, and thank God it, it became successful. It became successful as this sort of striptease uh, club because at the time, if you think back to 1958, um, the striptease club and all the magazines he went on to produce, they seem a little bit old hat now, a little bit, you know, but they were cutting edge um, risque in, in the, at that day in that day, so it, it was it was it was it started off and became very successful very quickly, and then he went into 
um, producing magazines, uh, and the magazines, you know, which not many people ever admit, uh, bought any of, but the millions of them people did. And then by the by the by the the, the success of the of the magazine company, he was then able to buy property. So he started buying property as an investment within the area in which he he, he worked. And he said to me, John, I'm not buying anything I can't walk to. And that was his simple philosophy. And we, he said that in the Windmill Theatre, um, which which was uh, smacking the heart of Soho, obviously. Um, so he just that was his philosophy, and he would just he would just buy at, at Soho as it went as as he as he as his wealth grew. Um, and the thing, I mean, when you when you would look at the look of love, it, it, it's a period which um, I am not wasn't my period. It was set, although it obviously was because I was married to Deborah. And, uh, the point of that film um but uh, it was set more more about the magazine period um, um the uh, but it was quite bizarre because i i i went to meet steve coogan uh, who's played pr and uh, and with my daughter who looks not a lot like her mother and i had this bizarre thing of meeting steve uh, in a bar looking like paul raymond with my daughter who looks a lot like my ex my late wife and um and, and I'm thinking this is a bit surrealist. This is the, this is a, a film about this life that I can remember being a part of. Um, and I mean, Steve Coogan made a very convincing Paul Raymond, right? And the the book, which is written by um, um, uh, Paul Letts, with a book about Paul Raymond, was quite closely followed in the script of that film. I mean, I read the script before it was ever shot. Uh, and I'm mean, nothing I could have done about it if I didn't like it, right? but it was, I thought it was quite a good um, uh, uh, um, production. Yeah. Um, and it was just, I mean, it was, just, it was a bit weird about it being so personal and close. I didn't, I didn't want to go and watch that film with my children, for example. Um, but I, I, I obviously remember all of it. Um, and the only thing that made me laugh, there's a bit in that movie where Paul Ray was asking some girl out as if he was tongue-tied, and I thought, well, that, that never happened. Right. <laughs> That's not how he behaved, right? Uh, he was always quite important from the very off, Paul Raymond. Paul Raymond was treated with so much respect I've never seen in my life. When, when we went places, doors would open, people were very respectful of him. And he was a very nice chap. He, was a, he had a great sense of humour. He, he, he was very welcoming to people. Um, although he 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 he, um, he 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 was he had an amusing uh, uh, he couldn't remember who anybody was, and so he said to me, John, who's this? And I, I'd have to whisper in his ear who it was. And then he, oh hello, how are you? Nice to see you. But he was because so many people would talk to him. I mean, it wouldn't be unusual. But we were coming walking down the street once, and Dawn French comes rushing up. She'd come out of the Groucho Club. She comes rushing up. She starts and he goes, who's this? I says, Dawn French, Dawn French, Dawn French, right? And she starts thanking him profusely because he got her her equity card when, when they were in the Boulevard Theatre uh, with the comic strip. And there would only be kids from college when, when that happened, right? And he got them all an equity card. So she came up to thank him. And he's saying, who is it? Who, who is this woman? And I, so I had to tip him off where the hell it was. Uh, and uh, it was, it, 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 you know, he's a very gracious and very polite guy, Paul Raymond, he always was. And that's a good point, actually, isn't it? Because it's not just about all the risque, you know, nudity, etc. Comic strip, people of my generation will remember comic strip. I'm in my early 50s. I mean, the, the comedians, the alternative comedians that came through there and then it fed through into films on Channel 4 and everything else. That, he was a big part, a significant part in making that happen. 
Well, yeah, I mean, the, the Boulevard, the Boulevard was a small theatre room attached to the review bar. And, and long before I ever went to work for Paul Rowan, the, somebody said to me, you've got to come and see this. And we went to this theatre where the comic strip was. And the comic, comic strip was, you know, Aid Edmonds and Alexis Sale and um, French and Saunders and all of that little group. And they all were just straight out of college in those days when, when it started in the early 80s. And, you know, I expect to be looking for getting 40 quid a night or a week. I'm not even sure, you know. But it was put on by a guy called Peter Richardson, and it was just in this little theatre next door to the review bar. Um, so they had this bizarre queue of lots of Japanese guys queuing in this door, in this side of the building going into the strip club, and lots of these really strange-looking young folk queuing on this side going into the comedy strip. And I went there once. Uh, I went there a couple of times. It was, it, was, it was actually so innovatively brilliant at the time. You were lucky to be, be able to go to the beginning of this, right? And I was there one 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 night, and, and they said, you know, "Ladies and gentlemen, just 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 by chance, we've got a good uh, top top guest for you." And um, and Robin Williams came on. Robin Williams came on and started doing the Mork and Mindy stuff because that's what about the time he was doing. And and you, I mean, you just you, you couldn't believe this. I mean, it was this was extraordinary. But he'd gone because this was this new comedy wave that was taking it taking a, a, a hold in England, and he'd been he'd come along and he just decided he would come on and do an hour. And I mean, you 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 ached from laughter. You, you came up with your stomach aching and your neck aching. It was so good that thing. And that was in the original Boulevard, which is a small room. And in the, in the recent redevelopment of that entire site, we have built the new Boulevard Theatre, um, which is my daughter's project, and she's been, she, it's her business. Um, unfortunately, also closed. Um, before it even got off its feet, it's been uh, like any other theatre, it's closed and it probably won't open until next year sometime. But we rebuilt the entire building. It was, it was a post-war construction and it was a very inefficient building. So we basically demolished the whole thing and built it all back up to make this wonderful new theatre called the Boulevard Theatre, which is, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the picking up the original name, if you like. And the original review bar is now a very, 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 very good uh, club called The Box, which is very successful. Also shut, obviously. Um, so the, the whole that area has revitalized itself in the same entertainment uses, but just different, different more modern businesses, more, more appropriate businesses and, and more fit for purpose for today businesses. But the history is exactly where it came from. That's where it all came from, that, 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 uh, that Walker's Court units. And, and that feeds in nicely, really, to the, the issue. Uh, Paul Raymond passes away. And, and then, the, you know, he bequeaths this property portfolio, which has become Soho Estates, which you and the family are involved in. I mean, that's a, that's a significant property portfolio, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, he, what he, what, when Paul started, he was buying property as, a, as a, an investment because he, he had a cash cow called a publishing company. And he would buy it as it came available. So it was no big, there's no, in those days, there's no, no strategy of, 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 of acquisition. There was no strategy of development. In fact, it, uh, when I when we had to we would talk about property, for example, it, I would say to him, "Paul, we have a we have a property here, uh, and it, it, it needs it's in want of repair. It needs some." He'd say to me, um, "Are they paying the rent?" I'd say, "Yeah, yeah, of course." He said, "Well, don't do anything. Don't don't spend any money on it." I'd say, "Okay, fine." So 
he collected property and he had and, and of course he ended up with quite a lot of it huh? um and then he, he and when he died i mean i'll just cut to the reasons so so states is does what it does now mm. my discussion with his with his with his with his, with his uh, benefactors which are beneficiaries sorry which is which is my two daughters he said right the girls this is what we've got all this property and we're either going to repair it we're going to have, we're going to have to repair it renew it and or replace it we, because we we're, we're never going to sell it are we well the answer is no we're not we're never going to sell it so we better start fixing it because half of it is falling down and half of it had the, the sort of tenants we would have had in the 60s, 70s, 80s, they wouldn't know a delapsed clause if it smacked them in the face and they wouldn't expect to be there when the delapsed clause became um, uh, operable, i.e. they'd never expect to have 20 years occupancy, that, have, that, that there were more fly-by-night types in those early days than, than, than that. So they would, the very colour of the nature of the businesses that were predominant in Soho, uh, there were not ones who would adhere to the contractual obligations of leases, if you like. So basically, they never fixed anything, they never repaired anything, they never did anything to these to, to these buildings, and we are therefore embarked on a process of renew, redevelop, and repair and replace. And and that's what we've been doing since Paul's death was to keep the thing going, was to um, rebuild and um, and make the buildings fit for a modern purpose. Court is, is one that you've touched upon. Ketner's Hotel is it? I've, I've been at the champagne bar in there, I've been in there and had the odd, uh, odd drink. You, and then you've got the Foils Bookshop, which is being totally redeveloped. Some of these are major, major projects. Well, yeah, I mean, you see, the, the, where, what, where Ketner's is, the, the block in which Ketner's uh, 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 is on with the south side. And on the north side is, is, the, is the original um, Soho House. So in that block, you have Soho House on one side, you have Ketner's on the other side. And Ketner's was, a, was a, also a, a very, very long lease. So the upper parts of that building were in need of repair. Um, but, and eventually, and it came to pass, of course, that Soho House was expanding up this side of the street quite rapidly, building after building after building as it, as it got more and more successful. And, uh, and and we, we had the opportunity to buy Ketner's back. And then basically we did a whole development, which was 50, a, 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 a sort of a, a half, well, most of three quarters of a one block. Uh, and, and actually 15 listed buildings within that area. Um, but we, had, we, we, were, we were well supported by the, the, the Westminster at the time to, to make this happen. Um, and we sort of infilled what would be the light wells in the back of these buildings. So you keep, you keep the historic nature of the building intact. So you have the historic line of the building. Where, 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 where basically in the yard in Soho would have been originally for people to, 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 to poo in it. And it would have been for animals to poo in it. And then lastly, pigeons to poo in it. And that's about it, right? Other than that. So, uh, a bit, and a lot of old air conditioning machines bunged in later. That's kind of what the backyards of Soho looked like. And so we filled it in. We filled the whole thing in, taking what was 30, 13,000 square feet in total to making it 30,000 square feet. And Soho House expanded into taking all of the space and, uh, and the Ketner's Hotel 
So it's now a Soho House Hotel, uh, with all the rooms. So the whole building has been refurbished, revitalized, made fit for purpose. And at, we, at our expense, of course, but we, are, we, 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 uh, we, we find that we're having to repair our own buildings for the, a tenant like Soho House. Well, you just say, what do you want, Nick? And he says, I'd like all this. And you go, okay, fine, you can have that. And, and the, you know, the rent's appropriate. Um, but it, 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 the, 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 the real essence of this is that you've got a successful relationship with a, with a, with a tenant like that. And you, you, you therefore, you, you will invest in the property to give him what he needs. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, you've improved your property a hundred percent. And, um, uh, and, you know, you've got a, a building that's going to last us for the next generation or two, which, which is, which is my entire aim. You know, my, my short term view is 50 years and my long term view is a hundred years. Um, and I'm I'm looking at my granddaughters now, and I've got three of them. And you're thinking, well, this is this is this is this is this is what you'll be doing when you grow up. And going around Soho, uh, as I do, it's uh, it's about 15, 20 minutes walk from where I live here. Uh, is as, as exciting and interesting as it's ever been. Uh, but there will be some that say, and and you know, I have to address it, John. It's been gentrified and it's been commercialized too much what, what, and, and you might you know so estates are part of that what, what would you say well, to that well my answer to that's quite simple uh, in truth if you go just if you just go back to uh, just after the war in soho soho was a slum right soho the upper parts of the buildings in soho from the 40s right the way through to the 80s uh you'd have rooms that were were people were, were families were living in an a room and, uh, and they the rent the buildings out. And prior to that, prior to the war, by the way, the families were living two families to a room, right? This Soho in the early 1900s and late 1890s looked just like Fagan's Den on, on uh, Dickens, right? That's what it looked like. That's exactly what it was like. Um, the, so the, the, the idea of gentrification, if you call gentrification giving a place a toilet or giving a place hot and cold running water, or, uh, uh, um, you know, there was, there's when, when even in the 80s, I, I remember blocks of flats we bought that were, um, that were in, uh, n were, you wouldn't really want to live in such an accommodation. And then we had the opportunity to, to do them up and then let them to, 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 to the market at the time. Now, the problem with, the problem with um, uh, the, uh, the understanding of gentrification is you are making something more, more valuable and therefore displacing the people who could live there cheaply before. But the people who were living there cheaply before were not living there from ch by choice in some of these insanitary um, accommodations. They were living there by necessity. So eventually, as a city grows and it pushes that kind of occupation out, which it does, uh, it's replaced by a, a, a newer level of occupation or else it becomes just another slum. But the inner, inner parts of London... That is not just Soho. That's Notting Hill. That's that. That's Chelsea. That's lots of places that have just expanded in such a way. Um, so Soho's gentrification in its accommodations, I, I would I, I would say I would suggest it's actually become actually usable by modern people and modern families today, as opposed to the previous occupations. Um, and excuse me. And um, and the. We as a we as a, a company, Paul Raymond was always um, in favour of the of the small owner occupier business, right? And I would I, I remember going to him in the eight, 1980s, something or other, saying, "Paul, I've got I've got a, a chap here who has a um, a photo processing company, uh, like 
let's call it quick photos, right? And I've got a guy here who's just come off the stalls in the market selling carpets. And he says, give it to him, give it to the carpet guy. Uh, I said, well, this guy's got covenant and stuff. Said, no, don't, I don't want it, give it to him, right? He says, I want to give him a chance. And, and, we, and I did give it to the carpet guy. And, and Paul said, look, if he, if he succeeds, God bless him. If he fails, we'll throw him out, we'll get another one, right? But he, he had that attitude. So we, we actively disallowed chains into our properties. Right? We, we, if, a chain, if a chain operator applied, we would not go for the chain. Right? Hang on, I'm sorry, I've got to do this. Yeah. Or it'll keep ringing. Yeah, um, I understand that. That's interesting. Yeah, so you have a philosophy around Soho Estates. It has a belief system and values that it sort of adheres to, and they, they're very much based on some of what Paul Raymond believed in them. Yes, I mean, still to date, still to, to today, right? You see, the very thing that, that, that the, the, the Soho is kind of like by, by virtue of it, it's a it's historic area, it's a conservation area. The, the, the actual construction of the buildings do not allow for massive expansion in, in, any, in, any, in any shape or form, to be honest. Um, um, and they lend themselves to small business operators, to small entrepreneurial type businesses. That's exactly what they should be. And that's what we've always encouraged it to be. Um, and some of the larger sites, I've got a couple of chains that have got in, but they've gone in on assignments that I can't do anything about. And, and, and you know, let's face it, we started the finance Soho house in its first conception in Nick Jones and I, and Paul Raymond supplied oh. the cash. And we were the ones who invested in him. And he was just a young man across the desk from me telling me his dreams and hopes and ideas and ambitions. And we were the ones who made it, funded it. Wow. Now, he has become an international chain, but he, we still regard him as an owner-occupier businessman, right? But yeah. got that, that's a, a, a great story if people can do that, right? So the, the, the idea of, us, of, us, uh, of, of, of the, 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 the buildings would only um, accommodate a certain style of business. They are historic in nature, which we absolutely respect, and it's a conservation area. So with all of those things going for it, you've got to think, what do I, how do I progress my buildings to give them the best, the best opportunity and the best value? And, and we, we, we haven't always, we never had to drive covenant values because, he, because basically he never borrowed any money. Um, that, that was the, the, the essence of, it, of Paul Raymond's. They never borrowed any money, so he, he didn't, we didn't have to drive covenant. It, 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 and, you know, in, in truth, if, if, if somebody was, was classed as over-rented, he would be saying, well, what's wrong with that, right? Whereas other people would be saying, well, you've lost all the value in your property, you can't borrow any more money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it was, a, it was a sort of a strange uh, beginning for a property company in the sense of it was fully funded and had no borrowings and it was worth... Uh, I mean, we, we, we're classed as being worth over a billion quid now. Um, um, and I think when he died, he would, we would be about three and a half, 350 million, something like that, when he died in 2008. Um, so, I mean, it's not, it's not it, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a remarkable property company, considering it was one man's lifetime to get yes. to that point. To that, yes. Um, yeah, that is interesting. And, and in terms of so, we're going to talk about the campaigning that you've been doing, uh, you know, throughout the pandemic. Uh, in anticipation of post-pandemic, but uh, and this relates to it. I mean, Soho in terms of London tourism, it's. Just, I mean, London's a, a, an international city, isn't it? it? Gets millions of people coming in. How important is so for them that don't know? How important is Soho 
in terms of the you know the economy, the London economy. Well, I think no, I think it's 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 it's, it's one of the centres, right? I mean, if you if you think about um, the hospitality business in which we are we are, we are obviously we are um, concentrating on at the moment. I mean, forty six percent of my the tenants in our roster are in hospitality. That that's the that that's the centre of hospitalities in London. Um, and, and of course, it, it was historically the West End. People, that's where now, when there was little opportunity to go to these kind of places of entertainment, uh, people would go to the West End, and 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 and, and, and that's where you know, theatres and such as that, which we said earlier. But it's it as a centre of of, of the um, the activity, the vibrancy, the excitement, the frisson, the risque, the th all the things that make that place successful. Soho is 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 the one. It's in the middle of our fair city, and it also attracts thousands and thousands of people. And and normally, it's a very prosperous, very very industrious space, actually. Um, and in the in in Westminster Council per se, um, which is not just Soho, obviously they've got a, a larger borough, but Westminster Council has an economy bigger than Wales. Westminster Council has an economy uh, bigger than the city. It's it is the largest. Um, that Westminster Council's um, uh, uh, economy is the size of a small country somewhere else. Really, I mean, it's massive, um, and therefore, and that is all concentrating on the uh, the the business areas of uh, I would call residential areas in Mayfair with the restaurants, hotels, in, 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 uh, spread up, spread about a bit, and then you've got the the retail element of Oxford Street, Regent Street, uh, Piccadilly, and then you've got the hospitality area, which is known as Soho, and then of course you've got the, the massive tourist area known as Leicester Square. Um, and we have buildings in Leicester Square, and that there is 42 million, 52 million people walk from Piccadilly to the Hippodrome per annum down that, that through Leicester Square. So, I mean, that tourist industry isn't coming back very quickly, neither, by the way. Um, um, but that's the, that the levels of the, the separate areas which define the city, the centre of our city, are quite distinct in what they are. Why you will go to that area? What what's, what the offer is for you? It's very distinctive, I think. So, and, and the impact of the uh, pandemic can't be underestimated. You said that Soho is like a, a ghost town at the moment, uh, but you've started this campaign, Soho Summer Street Festival. The idea is to break out into the streets, enable uh, hospitality sector to tech up, uh, you know, tech up the streets. Do you want to say a bit more about that, John? Well, yeah, I mean, it became obvious at the start, going back to March, when uh, the March quarter for the, in the, the landlord um, element of this has been uh, asked to carry the financial burden uh, for, a lot, for uh, I'm not sure, it's like a bit like past the parcel. The parcel has been quite niftily passed into the land, into the lap of the landlord. Mm. The landlord has nowhere really to pass it on to. Right, so we have a March quarter, which, in truth, if lockdown was four or five days later, would have been paid because most people pay their rent. So the March quarter was three or four days, five days before the quarter. Uh, March lockdown, sorry, it was just before the quarter. So I would say that money was not paid to landlords, but it was withheld because it was there already to be paid. The money that, that, is, that, that is the quarter, which is two days away from today, obviously June 25th, there'll be no money to pay that quarter, right? And nobody's traded, right? So you say, well, you could have paid that quarter, but you didn't. 
Um, you definitely can't play this quarter because you can't. Um, and we need to get you training again and up and running so that we can start trying to get some recovery. So the discussions that we were having with uh, with Westminster and the ability for, for myself and other landlords who are classed as stakeholder landlords was actually to you know go and zoom in to the entire uh, leadership and cabinet of Westminster to talk about how we're going to help recovery, all of us. So having an influence like that, you think, okay, I just want to explain something to you. And and, and then I know many other people throughout England and Britain and, uh, are doing this, but I'm just contrary to what was important to us. I said, what I would like to ask is, if you if could you support the idea of using the street as the open air social distancing space? Because the man with 50-seater restaurant or 60-seater restaurant will not open with 20 seats. He can't. As soon as he opens the door for 20 seats, he opens the doors to bills. The furlough will finish, the bills will arrive, the people are not yet coming. Um, and he will not open, right? And the longer he will not open, the less likely he's going to be to open. So you will see failures. We will see a, a, a third of restaurants in our, in, in our area fail. And if you think about that from the landlord's point of view, I'm suffering two quarters and we're, we, we're, out, we're not trading yet. So I'm trying to say to the tenants, our tenants, you, once you trade and you've traded for a month or so, then we'll start talking about rent. We'll start talking about how to pay the rent, how, if we're going to defer the rent, if we're going to forgive the rent, whatever we're going to do, we've got to get you trading first. We've got to get this thing up and running. And the, the idea of the just asking for an area in front of this restaurant in the street to take up an area which would, which would probably previously be a parked car um, was as simple as I wanted it to be. Um, but you, the, 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 the word festival came along to, to give it some frisson of excitement to say, look forward to this, is a bit of hope on the horizon, something to, we, could, we could all work for. Um, the festival seems to, to have upset the amenity groups, because the amenity groups just see one mad party in Soho, which would be noisy and, and disruptive. But the idea is to, to give it enough oomph to attract people to come back because they're not actually coming back to the cities right now. Uh, we'll see what today brings with the one meter, the two meter. But they, they're, they're, you see that people are going to beaches, then they're going to, uh, uh, tonight, uh, I, I mean, you'll probably, probably say that pubs with a garden will open, right? Um, but that's not any of our pubs, right? Uh, you'll probably say uh, anybody with any outside space could open. So you say, right, well, we let's just have some outside space in the street. Just, 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 just pedestrianise it temporarily. I think, I'm saying we've only got a month to do it. We've only got the weather, uh, but it would boost the industry back, give it a kickstart, and show a bit of willingness. Is all I was after. Um, and I mean, I have tremendous support. Sam, and, uh, the website went up. I got six and a half thousand people saying this is a good idea. Um, Unfortunately, the amenity groups, I've got, I've got letters from amenity groups, 18 pages, telling me they're supported, but these are the reasons what they're concerned about, which basically says you, how to stop it. That's <laughs> yeah. It's a great campaign. It's a great campaign. And the situation as we speak in terms of Westminster, I'm, I'm at representations as a local resident, uh, but they're saying, oh, well, uh, what about opening 5.30 till 10.30, which is very modest, almost not worth doing. Whereas you guys are campaigning for what about lunchtime right through through till eleven? 
which yeah. seems more realistic. But even that seems modest compared to some areas. Liverpool, a couple of streets, <coughs> Castle Street, Bold Street, I think it is, closed completely is what's being proposed. Uh, and quite, you know, grants available and things like this. So Westminster needs to do that a little bit more, we think. I I know I, I, I absolutely agree. You see, the, the the problem sometimes a political decision will get a politician a tick in the box saying, look at what we've done to open the streets. But it doesn't solve the problem practically. It doesn't solve the problem economically. It's not viable. So although it says you can do it, they they, they have they have they have a, they do have a lot of pressure from residential groups because that's how the, our system works. Yeah. Um, um, they they would they would they basically uh, if they don't follow the the, the lead on other, from other people, you know. I mean, I'm reading a book Winston Churchill about Winston Churchill during the war, and one of the reasons he, he said he gave the production of airplanes to Lord Beaverbrook was because the the the, the, the fussy bureaucracy of the small of, of of the small minded people at the time would did not realise. This was total war coming, right? Now we're in a crisis. This is a crisis, right? And if you still think the the, the agendas and the and the initiatives that were some, like say last year's agendas and initiatives, are viable and valid today, just forget it, right? Get up. We need a coalition kind of a deal here, where they say get these businesses up and running. Surely you can put up with the fact that uh, that it might be a bit noisier for a small period in time, because once the weather goes, it's going to be much more difficult. And you you will, so I mean, I tell you, we will we will not replace these restaurants within a year, or we'll, it'll take two or three years to get that to get this place the vibrancy that you, that we've taken for granted, right? Yeah. And so you get really rather frustrated when you when you're thwarted by 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 by, by things where you say. Could you do, do you realize that somebody's livelihood is here? That man's entire life gone into that restaurant, his family, him, whoever, her, and you're just because it's a bit noisy, you're going to try and give us uh, uh, reasons why not to. Um, and you're, uh, you are a very minority people as well, by the way. But uh, the, 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 I'm afraid they listen to a lot. And so the, 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 they have piled these, these regulations on. There was a deadline, which is only on Sunday gone, uh, for people to stay well, do you agree with this or do you not? We are, I still await the outcome of that, so I'm not sure if we have extended hours at all, but we have, we've got a, a restricted access, which I don't think is viable enough for businesses to do it, to be honest. I don't think they'll, I think a lot of the, the bigger ones will do it because they've got the space to accommodate it, you know? But the smaller ones, which are the heart of our area and the ones that make it the, the, the DNA that I think Soho is, they will have a struggle. They'll have a struggle with this, and the residents will park their cars there, and the businesses will fail. That, that's that's what's happened because we're talking about car parking spaces. That's all we're talking about here. Right? Um, and so that there, it, it, I think it is a bit. Um, I, think, I think it is a bit light in its help. It, it's 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 thrown you a lifeline. You just can't quite reach it. Do you know, you're 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 on the high sea, and they're throwing you a lifeline, but you just can't reach it. Um, but they're throwing you the lifeline, and they still feel satisfied with that. That that's that's the kind of problem we're we're facing now. Yeah, and so uh, Westminster, the jury's out with Westminster. They've had the consultation. People have responded. They're going to make a decision shortly. The key message is just do that bit more and get get us over the line and help these businesses the best way that you can. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we've opened up re retail the last three weeks. Retail's been open, right? But retail doesn't drive footfall. Nobody's rushing out. I mean, there, there are there are people coming out. I must admit that. But it's not like any, not like the centre of a city before. I mean, it's like very light traffic. But the, the retail doesn't drive footfall per se. Retail with the ambience of food, drink, and uh, you know, have, have lunch, sit down, do what you do, shop. This is a whole. It's one. It's 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 all. It's an encompassing experience, and, it, and you need both. You need both to do this, right? Um, if if you if you um, if you if you think that we are going to get this city open and it will go back to normal straight away, it's a it's a myth. It's not. People people are still really very very nervous about um, public transport. So you know, you, getting into the city is a problem as well. Yeah. Listen, John, I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, really enjoyed it. We've covered a whole range of uh, topics. I hope at some stage we'll be able to meet up in Soho in the not-too-distant future and have a drink. It is something we're all looking forward to, Simon, to be able to go sit and have a drink. In a lovely day like today, you could sit there. Um, I don't consider that to be an offensive and noisy occupation. I consider that to be one of humans, a human joy. And what, that's what you're trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do here. Well, hopefully we'll be doing it sooner rather than later. Thanks for joining us, John. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much indeed.